Good morning. Um, we are halfway through a five-week sweep through a consideration of uh, relationships and specifically uh, what God might have had in mind when he designed men and women and uh, uh, the human community to be his image. That is, again, the point that we were making a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the five dimensions of intimacy that we are built for um, from Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis 1 and 2, we were talking about how God intended us to be in relationship with one another. Uh, to be and reflect his image requires mutuality. It requires um, a commitment to empowerment. It requires um, a, a move towards oneness. And it rebuilds us and, and enables in us a kind of intimacy that we share with one another. And again, then last week in five dimensions that we are built for intimacy with persons with the human community to accurately represent God well, uh, physically, uh, spiritually, socially, intellectually, and emotionally. So that's kind of where we were. That's what we're designed for. That's how life works best. Uh, and so the question now this, this morning, uh, and we finally figured out how to make the, the PowerPoint work, so uh, what went wrong? Because uh, as, we, as we sit with the reality that we live in, and, and maybe you've had this experience over the last couple of weeks as you've listened to the story of what God intended, and then you've, you've, you've reflected on your relationships or the relationships with other people that you have, how easy is it to, to slip into a default condition that is completely other than what God intended? How easy is it? to instead of intimacy and mutuality and empowerment to slip into something completely other that, that produces something else. And, and the point that I wanted to make on this is that we don't, we don't get to choose outcomes when we get there. We only get to choose outcomes at the beginning of our choice processes. Does that make sense? So you make decisions and then you live with outcomes. A lot of us are trying to figure out how I can I make a decision and then guarantee a certain outcome. The truth of the matter is, by the, when we make decisions, then we're heading in a certain, certain direction. Um, and, and God can redeem, He can restore, He can rebuild. Grace is uh, amazing. It is, it is one of those things that, that, that can, can, can take... Even, even lousy decisions that we have made and give us second and third and 83rd chances, for which I'm very, very grateful. Aren't you? Yeah, we need help, right? So, but, but I think it would be helpful for us to sit with why uh, things aren't the way God intended it to be. What happened? And, of course, this is where we look at Genesis um, uh, three. So the Genesis 1-2 reality, and this is important because I need you to realize when we come to Genesis 3, we come into it out of this reality. We come into it out of a reality in which we are created for the image of God, mutuality, empowerment, oneness, and intimacy. Uh, and, if, and again, if you weren't here in the last couple of weeks and you want to go back and pick up the podcast on that, you're, you're certainly welcome to do so. So let's go into Genesis chapter 3 and uh, asked the question, beginning in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty. Uh, you might be interested to know that the Hebrew word in behind crafty there is also beautiful. So we are, we are initially um, giving value to the words because of beauty. 
Beauty still has that seductive power today, doesn't it? So crafty, beautiful, than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Notice how quickly we move from life to the center to life at the edge. We're making rules now to protect us rather than living. By the way, if you go back in Genesis 2, that tree was not in the middle of the garden. It was just one of the trees of the garden, and God said, don't touch that one. So what have we done with the one tree that we're not intended for various reasons, we'll find out why in here in a minute, to touch, what have we done to it? We've moved it right to the very center of the garden. Notice what she says, the tree which is in the middle of the garden. It wasn't in the middle of the garden, but our perception moved it to the center. You see? It, it's, it's like with my, with my second son, if, if I wanted him to do something, it was more, it was this reverse psychology, right? Don't touch the table. What table? <laughs> right? That's what's happening here. He's moved it to the center. Um, the serpent said to the woman, you, you will not die. God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want to camp on this for just one sec before we move on. Please notice the highlighted section in there. Coming out of Genesis 1-2, who were we? Remember? We were the image of God. We were already like God. You with me? But like God with limitations, namely, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we took that as restriction rather than as protection. We need, as it turns out, limitations in order to know who we are. In the same way that a kite needs a string or it's just trash blowing in the wind, we need a limitation that anchors us to our reality. Who are we? We are the image of God. We are already like God. But in order to be who we are, we need that string that anchors us. Otherwise, we're just trash blowing in the wind. You with me? So, so here's where the whole thing goes sideways. And if we can look at it, when we don't accept who we are, and we won't accept the limitations of being who we are. So again, coming out of Genesis 1 and 2, we are the image of God. Here at the end of, of uh, uh, beginning of chapter 3, the question is, are we going to be content to be like God as God defined or enabled us to be like Him? Or are we going to insist on being like God the way we want to be like God? And it go, uh, Thanks. Uh, when we don't accept who we are, that sends the whole thing sideways. We begin to get off track. Does that make sense? So, so it's as if we, we have taken the, the first button and put it into the second hole. It does not matter how well you live thereafter, you're still going to end up wrong. Because we haven't got the foundation right. Does that make sense? 
Um, any questions on what we've doing so far? I know it's still early, but I want to get myself into the habit of doing this earlier because this is this is this is important. Because what we're going to discover is once we lose our grip on our identity, everything else in terms of our relationships goes bad. Once I forget who I am, once I fail to live out of the center of who am I, who I am. Then I'm going to start to take out the loss of identity on other people. This is why Jesus is so smart on this. When he says, love God first, then love yourself well, then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he doesn't say the middle part, but you hear the middle part in the third, don't you? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Failure to love self well, failure to know self well, Failure to maintain grip on who I am disables my relationships with other people in fundamental ways. Does that make sense? So here's where it goes sideways. Go ahead. Thanks. The woman saw, by the way, notice the, notice the pathology here, that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make wise. She took from its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. couple of things on this one that I want you to notice. First of all, please notice that middle line there. He gave to her husband with her. Often we hear this idea that Eve is a lone ranger out there just doing her own thing. And when she partakes of the fruit, she runs around quickly to find Adams to make him complicit in her error. That's not what the narrative says. Coming out of Genesis chapter 2, not only are we the image of God, we are also one. Right? We are one. So they are acting in exactly the kind of relationship they were built to act in. A collaborative, cooperative relationship of mutuality. This is not her choice, then his choice. The narrative says this is their choice. This is a decision they have made. This is an action they are participating in together. With me? And please notice, what was it that tempted her? He asked the question or in the previous section, makes the statement, you won't die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The word knowing there, by the way, is experientially knowing good and evil. You will be able to experience the full range of good and evil. As it turns out, we aren't built for that. We aren't built for that experiential knowledge. It tears us apart, doesn't it? It kills us. But when it finally comes down to it, what is it that finally sells her on the decision? Notice the threefold step. Can you go to the next one? I can't remember. Yeah. It is good for food is a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make wise. Isn't that exactly the taxonomy of temptation for you, for me? If I want to do something, I will find a reason to do it. Anybody else? I'm working on like a 52-inch plasmas TV right now, and I'm just about there. I'm just about there, right? Can I get a witness? It's a word from the Lord. I mean, no, it must be a resonance. Yeah, yeah, right. But how many of you know that you do that? Don't you? I mean, it's like, 
I'm thinking, I'm thinking uh, I need a Mazda 3. Guess how many cars on the freeway I see that are Mazda 3s now, right? What is that? Well, it's just the way our brains work. It's the way we train ourselves, and we start to notice. It's, it's called paradigms, right? We, we get our, 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 our mindset. But that's, that's how this works. We, we, and, and we will find a reason. Please notice the rationale. Well, it's good for food. It, it looks sharp, and, and at the end of the day... It's desirable to make wise. Who could fault me for that? Right? And again, the point was, he was with her. So this is our story. And, and this is one of the points that I wanted to make on this. Remember, this, is, this, this story, this chapters 1, 2, and 3, function as a description of how we are the way we are. So if we want to claim chapters 1 and 2 as being our story the image of God created for this kind of thing, we also have to claim chapter 3 as our story. This is not, in other words, about Adam and Eve making a dumb choice. Had I been there, it would have gone better. This is, I was there, and this is how it went. We were present in them. And these were our choices. Does that make sense? So let's go on. Uh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and again, here are the new realities beginning to emerge from the passage we read. Please note, ooh, follow the arrow, look at that. Anyway, um, uh, they, the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. Remember at the end of chapter 2, they were naked, but without shame. Now they're naked and shamed. So what do they do? They hide. So the first two realities, by the way, keep in mind the Genesis 1-2 realities, oneness, mutuality, image of God, the first two realities of Genesis 3 are shame and resulting in hiding. Okay? But the story, unfortunately, isn't over yet. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, they heard then the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He heard, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. He said, Who told, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. You're getting the feel for where this is going, right? So we end up, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself, and then he throws her under the bus, right? And by the way, did you notice who else gets splashed with the, with the, with the blame of this? The woman that you gave me. I don't know who's responsible here. I just know it's not me. It's either you or the woman you gave me, but hey, what can I do? I was an innocent victim. I was just there. I was just there. So we go to the next one, and here we get the, the other two realities. Shame, hiding, fear, and blame. How many recognize that that accounts for huge chunks of our relationships with people? Why? Because we've lost touch with who we are. And when we don't know who we are, what motivates us? Insecurity and fear and shame. And what do shame and fear result in hiding and blame. By the way, there's a lot of us as parents who parent 
this way. We parent with shame. We parent with guilt, fear. And that results also in hiding and blame, if you're interested. Because this is not just about the relationships between men and women, husbands and wives. This is about the degradation of relationships between people and other people. Notice how this works itself out in corporate America. Notice how this works itself out in the relationships between parents and children, husbands and wives, friends and friends. Whenever we're insecure, what do we do? We try and acquire things to make ourselves big, and principally we start to hide from one another, right? One thing else that I want you to notice, this is going to be a little bit shorter than our, our conversation the last few couple weeks, because it didn't take as long to get in trouble. Look at chapter 3, the same thing. And the man called his wife's name Eve. Do you remember what we talked about in Genesis chapter 2? What disqualified the animals? Remember the story? First attempt, it's not good for the man to be alone. So the first attempt to solve that problem, I will make him a helper that is suitable to him, was the creation of, of animals. And when God brought the animals to the man, do you remember what he did? He named them, and then the conclusion was reached. There was not found for the man a helper that corresponded to him. The point being that if a man can name, if a man can exercise authority over a being, that being no longer is suitable for him. So here we end up in this reality, that instead of, um, of the mutuality, now we have the final step in which that insecurity that fear, that shame, pushes us into a power position over the other. And when, again, we're feeling weak, when we're feeling insecure, when we're feeling afraid, what do we do with the little power we have? We use it to acquire as much more power as we possibly can. And men's power and women's power in our culture are very different power. Sometimes with men, it's physical power, just this sheer strength, sometimes economic Financial, right? With women, it ends up becoming often about sexual power because as part of this structure, men and women are built to desire one another. Men have almost no control over the nature of that desire because most men are stimulated sexually by what they see. Relationship is almost irrelevant, at least at the level of attraction, the level of desire. Women, on the other hand, for them, sexuality is all about deep relationship, for the most part, is going to be about mutuality unless they have turned themselves inside out. And for them, then, sexuality becomes about power. It becomes about getting what I want, and I'm willing to pay for it in a way that disconnects me, my body, from my soul, from myself. And what does that finally end up producing? Shame which results in hiding, blame, all of those dynamics. Do you see how it starts to flow together? So God's intent is something other than this, but this is, this is going to be, Genesis chapter 3 is going to, at least in, in my 30 years of walking with people and looking in the mirror, this is going to be the default of our relationships. When I'm insecure, when I'm afraid, I want to use whatever little power I perceive myself to have over the other, over my wife, and I will do this in any way, any way that I possibly can. 
right? I will, I will, I will use my, my, my education. I will, use, I will use financial kinds of things. I will use, I, what do you use when you're weak or perceive yourself to be weak and afraid? What do you use? This is not what we were built for. It does not produce the intimacy that we need to be human beings. So we increasingly define ourselves in these ways, and Paul tells us we gradually migrate until we function in relationships like animals. That's Romans chapter 1. We function in relationships like animals, perceiving or, or moving into relationships primarily to get needs met. That's brutal, isn't it? But there's an accuracy to it. There's a resonance to that, I think. So go on to the next one and look at the contrast. We're created for the image of God. We're created for mutuality. We're created for empowerment, oneness, and intimacy. But this is the reality we chose. As it turns out, we don't have the capacity for the knowledge experientially of good and evil. It tears us apart. Now, here's the, here's the, the, the outcome. It, it, uh, keep going back. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Thanks. You're, it, it, uh, we'll get there and, and still make it out in time. No. Um, when these are the contrasts, and, and the side one over on the right side, the new realities, are the default. What do we end up with? What kind of a culture do we end up with? What kind of marriages do we end up with? What kind of relationships between men and women do we end up with? We don't end up with intimacy. We end up, which is, by the way, what we really want more than anything else. We really want relationships of connection to other people. We want to know and be known. Number two doesn't get us there because we're hiding. And I will only let you in to the part of me that I can protect in some way if it gets too frightening. So a lot of women, a lot of men have chosen to, to bifurcate, to separate their self from their body. And I can do what I want here without the essential part of me being involved. Now, why do I do that? Because I want to be loved. I want to be intimate. I want to be close to somebody. But does that produce that? No, because this is hidden in order to enable me to do this. I can't do this in my body as a soul. I've only got to be able to do it as a body. That makes sense? So as a result of that, this, the sexuality, begins to drift off in, in, in importance, becomes increasingly, increasingly disconnected from the sense of self. And that, by the way, can happen in marriage just as readily as it can happen outside of marriage. Where sexuality isn't about intimacy, it's not about making love in any reasonable sense, it's about having sex. Do you feel the shift? This is not what God intended. But this is what we chose. As it turns out, his prohibition in chapter 2 was actually protection. We're going we're gonna to blow ourselves apart. And in walking with people over, over the last few years in particular, I'm, I, I need to step into this for just one, one, one second and, and suggest to you that, that the, the almost inevitably, especially walking with the people group that I walk with, the 18 to 22, 23-year-olds, 
that I work primarily with? What makes it possible to peel apart body from self? Often, I would, I would have to say almost nine times out of, out of ten is alcohol. I have to find a way to numb myself enough to disconnect what I'm doing here from who I am here. That is what makes this pos- that possible. And, and again, however you negotiate your relationship with alcohol, and, and I realize I'm talking to an older people group here, but I need you to sit with, with the realization of what the implications of that are for us. There are some of us whose grip on our identity is so fragile that alcohol will never be your friend. How's that, how's that feel? That's hard. But it's the truth, isn't it? Because that makes it possible for me to continue to rip myself apart in order to find something here that I'm meant to find here. I tear myself apart. And then what do I do? I hide or I blame. I don't know who's to blame for this. I don't know who's responsible for this. It must be my parents. It must be my environment. It must be the culture. It must be the social structure. It must be my wife or my husband. It must be, it must be. No, 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 no. My name is Bill. I'm a sinner. This is what I do. And I've gotten good enough. I don't even need alcohol to do it. Anybody else blow yourself up without the aid of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens. That's what happens. So, as it turns out, go ahead. Um, we need uh, help. We need a Savior. Now, the good news is uh, we have one. I just need you to sit with that for a minute. Because if, if all we had was the reality coming to Genesis 3... It, it's, uh, we're just going to have to keep our fingers crossed and do the best we can, right? But because we have a Savior, Darren's going to unpack this a little bit more next week in terms of, of what the implications of Jesus' coming in and as a, an embodied person to teach us how men and women can be in relationships without sexualization. Isn't that amazing? I, I need you to sit with that for a minute. For, for a woman in Jesus' culture to have a close and intimate friendship with him without ever once being sexualized by him, just stunning. That's why, by the way, prostitutes found him so compelling. It wasn't that they wanted to sleep with him. It's that he valued them as persons first. You see this in Luke chapter 7. A woman who is known as an immoral woman comes into a, a banquet as she was permitted to. I mean, it was a public kind of place. And everybody else in the room immediately labeled her. She had a big A, a big, big A over her heart. This is who she is. We know who she is. She's an immoral woman. If this man, Jesus, was any kind of a prophet, he'd recognize it too. She makes a beeline for him. She apparently had had previous conversation and relationship with him, and she recognized in him the very thing that she needed more than anything. She took what was most valuable to her, the one thing she had brought from her home, the one thing that guaranteed 
that she had a place to go, her dowry, if you will. This expensive vial of perfume that she could have sold for almost a year's wages. And she opens it up and just pours it out. The fragrance floods the room. It is not the fragrance of shame. It is the fragrance of forgiveness. And then Jesus asks this question of his host. Do you see this woman? And on its surface, you're looking at that story saying, how in the world can he ask that question? Every male eye in the house had seen her, but not as a person, not as a woman, as an object, an immoral woman. The only man who saw her as she really was was Jesus. That's why she was able, in, 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 a, in, a, in a gesture of intense eroticism in that culture, to let her hair down and wash his feet with her tears, dry them with her hair. That was as erotic as you can get in that culture without shaming yourself even further. But for her and them, that was not an erotic gesture. That was pure, unadulterated gratitude and love. So Jesus has come as our Savior to restore us to a Genesis 1-2 relationship between husbands and wives, between men and women, between women and women, between men and men. Because those same diabolical characteristics of shame and fear and hiding and blame and power creep into all of our relationships, don't they? Have you found it if your boss, uh, with your boss? Have you found it with your friends? Have you found it uh, with your neighbors? Those, that's the default. That's the, that's the ditch that we keep driving into on the icy roads of our lives. And Jesus has come to enable us to do life differently. Does that make sense? Um, now, any questions coming out of what I've been doing here in the last two or three weeks? I know that this is pretty different than what we normally do. But I, this is important enough to us that we want to take a few minutes on this before we... Uh, give an opportunity for a response. Anybody? Yeah. With difference between calling, yeah. But in three, it is It is. The Hebrew in behind that, and, and notice that it, it says her name. That word appears as an indicator of his authority over her. And it's part of what flows out. In fact, as God, we didn't go into it, but as God unpacks what the implications of this are, he is, he is just kind of sadly saying he will rule over you as part of that dynamic. And part of his ruling then is exhibited in that 20th verse where he names her. And, and notice that that is the nature of the relationships. What happens to women in that culture from that point on, is they gradually disappear as persons. The only way they can get what they need done in that culture, with few exceptions, and those, by the way, becomes heroines, is by manipulation and control. Yeah. Anybody else? Here's how I want to end this.
Um, this, those last three weeks, my guess has been fairly heavy for us in terms of just sitting with what the implications of this are in terms of marriage and in terms of, of what God's intent is. Next week will be lightness and joy and full of the Holy Spirit. It will be wonderful. But, but, but in order to get there, I f we felt it was important to just take, take the stair step down to the dungeon of where we actually live. Right? Um, because my guess is we don't want to live with relationships like this between men and women, between husbands and wives, women and women, uh, in, in singleness, uh, because this characterizes many times all of our relationships. And my challenge last week, uh, I want to just put it out again. I'd love the garden to be an oasis of persons, an oasis in which persons are valued. It's going to take us, it will take the work of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of grace, uh, all of that dynamic for us to be that. But this city needs that. This is a city in which people are valued as body, as performer, as doer. And I want us to be a community as we get there, this hard work, hard, hard work of valuing of persons. Do you see this person? Do you, do you see? Um, and I recognize that in order to do that, some of us need to say, um, I'm living in three, and I want to I move to one and two. Whether it's in my relationship with my husband or wife or friends or myself even. Because notice how we do it with ourselves. We shame ourselves. We hide from ourselves, don't we? We hide from each other. We hide from God. Some of you may, and I'm going to ask you to do this just where you are, just to stand up and say, I want to move out of three. Into, into, I, I, want, I, I recognize that's where I've been living in my relationship. And I need some help here. And we'd like to pray for you. Is there anybody like that just before we, before we close off? We can pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? We'll just wait here for a couple minutes. I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I really feel that this is time to start to move into this as a community. Amen. Thank you. Man, thanks. As people around you are standing now, I'm going to ask you, let's just be the body of Christ to our brothers and sisters, all right? Let's pray for one another and, and ask God to move them by, the, by His grace from one place where they currently recognize they are into a new place. Let's pray for one another for a few minutes. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. If you're not praying with somebody specifically and want to take the hand of the person next to you or just pray for God's grace and blessing in their relationships, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, no pressure, but let's just spend some time before the Lord for a few minutes. Bless you, Lord. Just feel free if you're praying for somebody to pray out loud. Pray God's heart for them as, as, as you perceive it, as you hear it. Let's just ask his grace and mercy to be poured out.